This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. We are joined this morning on this Mayor's Monday by Joshua Garcia, who is the mayor of Holyoke. With us as well, Aaron Vega, the Director of Economic Development, of course, former state representative for the district and the city of Holyoke, and Anthony Soto, who is the superintendent of the Holyoke Public Schools. Thank you all so very much for being with us. Mr. Mayor Joshua Garcia, I'd like to start with you. There was very disturbing news from Holyoke about some murders last week. Uh, better news uh, with the arrests that have been announced in the last, well, day. And you held a press conference, I think, to really try to assure the people of Holyoke about safety in the city. Tell us where these investigations stand with the extent you can and what your message is for the people of Holyoke and the area as well with regard to these, well, setting events. Mr. Mayor. Thanks. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we had some very unfortunate situations happen within the municipal boundaries of our community here. And, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it's shaken up the community a little bit, and we felt it was important to have that press conference uh, with the Hamden uh, District Attorney, Anthony Galuni, and our police chief, myself, to assure the public that we're in front of it, that we have uh, resources and that there's work happening uh, to be sure that uh, we're doing what we can to the great extent possible to keep the community safe. Um, the, the press conference did come with um, some uh, updates to the extent of what was possible by Galuni's office uh, that was positive. Um, and just to kind of again reassure the public that, um, that that we're on it, things are happening. Um, no one is hiding anything under the rug or anything. Um, we thought it was important to get in front of it so the public uh, see their municipal leaders so that they know and understand that we're here and we're doing what we can to, to solve these issues and to continue to keep safety in the community. Is there any relationship between the shootings that uh, you can or would be willing to share, uh, or are these just random events that happen to have occurred uh, close in time to each other? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, to my understanding at the moment, it's all under the investigation of the um, uh, district attorney's office, the DA, um, and uh, until, you know, he releases further result on that, I'll have a better understanding of what, if whether or not there were connections. And your message to the uh, uh, residents of Holyoke with regard to safety at this time is what? Well, I can say this, that, you know, what I've been telling the public, and this is just near and dear to my heart here, is that Holyoke, for as long as I've grown up here, has always been a place of hope an opportunity for people who are down and out on their luck. And we do what we can to um, lead with that level of compassion, uh, but understand reminding the public that that level of compassion does come with certain quality of life challenges. And uh, despite those challenges, we can't lose sight of who we are as Hoyokers. And we need to continue to do what we can to support uh, issues around mental health and addiction, um, but also at the same time, um, uh, when criminal behavior does take place, we can't tolerate it. And so we have the resources um, and there's more um, of that to come to, to mitigate criminal behavior and try to minimize it as much as possible. And the community is indeed safe. It's not the Wild West. 
here in the city of Holyoke. Um, I, so I do want the public to know and continue to understand it. They, they can certainly take pride in their community and feel safe uh, in their city and that there's people working on their behalf. Um, at the same time, uh, we have to uh, continue to lead with compassion and support those that are struggling with um, uh, the, what we call the social determinants uh, of health so that we um, curve any opportunity for people to lead down a path of criminal behavior. Let me turn, if I might, thank you, Mr. Mayor, for that. Uh, let me turn, if I might, to uh, Anthony Soto, who is the superintendent of the Holyoke Public Schools. Beginning of the school year, uh, you came to the school system. Well, you have a long history of the school system. I'd like to know, uh, as, the, as the superintendent, is also the person who has the uh, position of receiver, because the uh, school system is in receivership still from the state, where do the Holyoke schools stand with regard to state supervision? What is your plan with regard to returning control of the schools to the local school committee? And what is your view of the progress that the Holyoke schools have made in the last number of years with regard to retention of students, uh, curbing the dropout rate, uh, and otherwise trying to provide a quality education? Superintendent, help us understand where the schools are at. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for having me. Um, in terms of where we're at with receivership, you know, the, the, the district is really committed to focusing on, you know, that the, there has been a significant impact on, on students during the pandemic, uh, mainly social emotionally. This is a time when when they, they really, you know, thrive on being with their peers and, and not being in isolation. And we, we've experienced a lot of of, of damage that the, the pandemic has had on our students. So we're really focusing on on a sense of belonging for our students and really re-engaging um, with what, what is gonna, what is proven to be like a, a long lasting impact um, on a lot of our students. Um, receivership itself, you know, I, I, I don't have an answer on like when we can get out of receivership. That's not something that, that me personally and then our team is focused on. We're focusing on on providing a quality education for our students. Um, I do know that there has been conversations with the commissioner about, you know, what that could look like in the future, uh, but but very few details, um, um, if, if uh, very few details have been given on, on what exactly it's gonna take to, to get out of receivership. So our focus right now is gonna be on our students. I do, uh, we, we have seen um, a lot of success, uh, particularly at the high school level, um, uh, since receivership, uh, we, we've seen an increase in our, our graduation rate. We've seen a decrease in our dropout rate, um, and we've seen uh, a decrease in our chronic absenteeism, which we know has a huge impact on on student success and uh, both in school and beyond. So, so tell us this. Um, those all sound like positive developments in terms of retention of students uh, uh, is, and uh, I think uh, very positive to hear about increased graduation rates. What are you doing? What's the, how, how do you do that? How do you accomplish those goals? We, we serve our students as they come. Um, I think that Prior to receivership, there was a lot of, of students being turned away and encouraged 
to uh, that this school school system is not a place for them. Um, and we've since created programming for students to thrive if you know if they're having a hard time in a traditional high school setting. We've created a, a program called Opportunity Academies, um, and it, it's really a program that's designed to, to create an alternative pathway for, for students that are really at risk of dropping out. I think that in itself ha had played a, a major role in, in, in re-engaging students that, that would be dropping out and creating an alternative path so that they can uh, graduate. Might not be fully with their peers, but we have several programs and partners like Lighthouse that we're working with um, and, and the Success Center over at Opportunity Academy. Uh, we've we've done a lot around uh, engaging students um, that that are eligible in, in dual lang dual enrollment opportunities. So we partner with uh, Westfield State and we partner with uh, uh, Holyoke Community College and have created a pathway for students to even when they graduate have have uh, some credits in their in their tool belt and, and making sure that their you know college is an option for them. I think that that's contributed a lot to to our decrease in, in our dropout rate and our uh, increase in our graduation rate. How is MKS affecting the Holyoke Public Schools? Um, how is it affecting the Holyoke Public Schools? I think I think that the way it it affects our schools is is it doesn't really shine a bright light on on a lot of the good things that are happening in our schools you know it, it, interestingly I, I there's this tension that exists between the community and 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 holyoke public schools and and i honestly up until maybe a month or two ago i thought i thought it was receivership i was like man when receivership goes away this this tension that exists is is going to go away uh but i i came across a video that was uh in 1990, 1992, where Holyoke was was um, featured on on national news uh, because it was going through a prop two and a half, and this community voted on yes on trash, yes on elderly, yes on police, and they voted no on schools, which led to massive layoffs over in 1992, um, especially in our middle schools. And when you listen to some of the people that were interviewed in there, you can it, the tension that is, exists now and the way people talk about our school system now, they were talking about our school system like that in 1992. Um, and we really want to change that. You know, we really want to move forward together as a community. We know that it's going to take a community wide effort. You know, I, I did a, a, a strategic plan over the last year which which involved a lot of engagement. I wanted to make sure that that our strategic plan wasn't Superintendent Soto's plan, that it was really a plan that was developed uh, by Holyokers for Holyokers. Um, and it really just laid out a path for for what we want to see in the in the next few years for our school system. There are it seems to me uh, two at least two, but two vital components resurgence of Holyoke. One is the school system that you lead. Uh, the other is the economic development for the city. We have with us today as well uh, 
Aaron Vega, who is the Director of Economic Development. And Aaron, I would like to ask you, you know this city intimately, you were the state representative for many years for the city and the district of Holyoke. Uh, what is the plan for a economic revitalization of Holyoke? Oh, a little, just a simple question to get things started, Bill. Yeah, because then, <laughs> then we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. <laughs> well, good morning. And, and you know, uh, it's great to be on this team with, with Mary Garcia and Anthony. And, and you know, I go way back uh, with Anthony. Um, and so the plan really is, I think, similar to what we're thinking about with the schools, right, is to make sure that there's an opportunity for businesses to thrive here, whether you're a small business and you've just come through the E4All program. Um, and you want to start your business in Holyoke. We want to have spaces for that. We want to have places, obviously, um, to expand in the cannabis industry. We want to have places um, that we want to bring in more manufacturing. There isn't just one plan. I think that's what makes it tricky is that there's multiple plans, right? We, we've got um, our infrastructure plans, right? The better infrastructure we have, the more businesses are going to be in an area and people are going to, want to build homes in an area that has the infrastructure, uh, that has new sidewalks, that has new tree belts. When you look at what's going on in South Holyoke, an area that's been disinvested for decades, um, that investment affects the mindset, not just of the residents that live there, but people that go through there. It affects the mindset of people walking to school. It affects the mindset of people hanging out, uh, both positive and negative in that neighborhood. Um, it gives better ownership. I think that's the big thing we're looking for. Is we, I think there's a balance of looking internally to the people of Hoyoke and the business of Hoyoke to turn things around, um, which we're doing, but it's also recognizing that we need some outside support, that we need those, those partners that are at the mall, we need those partners in manufacturing, we need those hotels, we need the tourism industry. Um, and so when things happen in the city, it's, it's, it's for Hoyokers, but it's also for us to, to showcase and invite people into the city uh, to take advantage of some of the great aspects and gems that we have, um, whether it's living here, working here, or coming here to see a concert and, and going out to eat. Um, we want to be part of that Western Mass conversation. And I think it's, it's multi-pronged of making sure that we have a, a city that's you know, not just safe and inviting for people to come to, but people who are living here to enjoy it as well. We are going to continue our conversation with Aaron Vega, who's the Director of Economic Development, and Anthony Soto, who is the Superintendent of the Holyoke Public Schools, and the Mayor, Joshua Garcia, after these messages. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Katerina and Raul swing 30 feet above the street as the soul magnets get down, and Mr. G revs it up. The Amherst Block Party, this Thursday, 5 to 9. Show circus stilt walkers, jugglers, acrobats, and contortionists. Ollie the Clown makes balloon animals for kids. Nikki paints faces. The yo-yo people do tricks. Step dancing, kung fu, global eats on the street. Downtown Amherst is one big party. The Amherst Block Party, this Thursday, 5 to 9. Join Mark Patrick Seminars and lose the weight guaranteed for only $49.99. Hypnosis designed to stop disordered eating and cravings. Also, you can stop smoking with Mark Patrick Seminars. Hypnosis can destroy your desire to smoke without cravings, irritability, and weight gain, or your money back. Join the over half million others who have attended. Seminars are Monday, October 3rd at Hotel Northampton. The weight loss seminar is at 5.30 and the stop smoking seminar is at 8 p.m. Go to markpatrickseminars.com to learn more. 
When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well without unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit Hug HugYourMoney.com. At American National, what's important to you is important to us. Just like every horse is unique, so is our equine coverage. American National's equine owner's insurance is designed to address the inherent risks involved with owning horses. Flexible enough to provide property and liability coverage for operations of various sizes, yet can be tailored for your specific needs. We're right by your side. For more information, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy, save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And on this Mayor's Monday, we have with us the Mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia, as well as Holyoke's Director of Economic Development, Aaron Vega, and the Superintendent of the Holyoke Public Schools, Anthony Soto. Let me ask you, if I might, Aaron Vega, there are events coming up in Holyoke. You've been talking about economic development and all of the things that Holyoke can bring, the events and the uh, uh, ways in which Holyoke is part of the uh, not only the economic scene, but the entertainment scene throughout the valley. So tell us what's up next for Holyoke. Absolutely. Well, it's been really great. You know, obviously, when I came in uh, to this position in January of 21, we've been sort of focused on recovery uh, from the pandemic, supporting our local restaurants and our small businesses. Um, and back in last year, we did uh, Doors Open in Holyoke for the first time, which was invited people behind the scenes of a lot of buildings, uh, um, businesses, churches, uh, some places that are being, uh, being redeveloped as well. So um, on October 15th, we sort of joined forces with a number of organizations, uh, community partners, and we're putting together a whole day's event, which will be Doors Open 2022. Uh, there'll be the Hoyo Brick Race, uh, a long time event. And if you've never checked out the Hoyo Brick Race on Race Street, uh, it's a really great event. Um, basically think about the soapbox derby, but put bricks on there instead. Uh, really artistic bricks made by all kinds of community members and anyone can participate. So um, then there's a cemetery tour uh, put on by the Wisteria Hearst, a historic cemetery tour. We're really doing a lot on our history. Uh, we've been working with Pioneer Valley Planning Commission on historic and cultural tourism plan for the city of Holyoke to, to really look at our history and how we can highlight it as a tourism aspect. Uh, and then the whole day is capped off with the uh, with Paper City Food Festival. Uh, 
and right on High Street, live music, bands, and again, some of the people that were instrumental in putting together the uh, El Paricio uh, Festival, uh, Colombia. Um, uh, what was the festival just happened a couple weeks ago, Mayor? Uh, uh, the Festival. Festival, sorry. Uh, so some of the same people coming together. And so again, highlighting some of our new restaurants and, and local music scene. So October 15th, it's going to be great. Um, we've been really happy to have our Explore Holyoke website. So you can check that out. Again, uh, working with CD Vision in Holyoke, uh, working on our uh, tourism website. And I think really it just comes down to both for people that live in Holyoke, but outside Holyoke, we always were like, you know, what's going on? Where can I find the restaurants? Where's, you know, everything seems to be last minute. And, you know, you have Gateway City Arts doing events and Mysterio Hearst doing events and art, or art openings. And we want to have a place that you can come to and get all the information, a centralized location. And it's really our goal when it comes to tourism to, again, be part of that Western Mass conversation. We've been working with, uh, with the Convention Bureau of Western Mass, um, MK and her team. And I think it's just, we want to make sure that when, you know, people think about going out to eat, when people think about going to the mall, when people think about coming to Hoyle, there's, there's more than just one thing to do. Um, there's more than just a parade, right? You know, there's all these other events, there's all these other festivals. Um, and so we're really excited about the work that's being done. And then to cap it off, uh, we'll have information on the 15th of October about next year, which is really important. Uh, it's the 150th celebration of the city of Hoyo. So Mayor Garcia is going to be able to ring us through the 150 years of the city. Uh, we've, we've got a lot of events throughout the year set up for that. Um, I know we get the public schools involved in that, a lot of arts. Um, and so we're really excited about what's happening in the city of Hoyoke. And I think making sure that um, making sure that people feel safe, people feel welcomed, and Hoyokers have an opportunity to showcase their city is really important. Let me turn now, if I might, back from uh, Aaron Vega, who is the director of economic development, to uh, Anthony Soto, the superintendent of the Holyoke Public Schools. Uh, superintendent, uh, tell us what the uh, major uh, changes have been uh, in the schools uh, under under your leadership. Yeah, there. I mean, one of the major changes is is the way we plan. Uh, I think that. You know, I, I've been trying to send a strong message to the community that that we're here and that we want to work together. We want to plan together. We want to solve problems together and we want to move forward together. Um, one of the biggest things that that we have going on a, a huge part of our strategic plan is is converting from the pre K to eight model that was was uh, put in place long a long time ago, going back to the elementary middle and high school model. Um, since receivership came on board, we heard that loud and clear from the from the community that there's a strong desire uh, for our middle schoolers to be with middle schoolers and, and to get a middle a real traditional middle school experience. And what we had was a bunch of small middle schools spread out across the city um, in our in our neighborhood pre pre-K to eights, um, but with, with limited resources to be able to to support a, a traditional middle school model. So we've been making efforts over the last few years to move in that direction. Um, you know, we've created the STEM middle school, the Holyoke middle school, and converted uh, at least three of our pre-K to eights to traditional elementary schools. Um, and we, we wanna finish that. We wanna close the loop on that, regardless of whether we get a new middle school or not, because we do have a new middle school in the pipeline with the MSBA, and we hope that that um, that we can uh, complete that by the year of 2026 um, at, at the earliest date that we can do it. But um, we 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's really exciting. There's the potential for a new school in Holyoke, a major new school. Yes, yes, yes. We're really excited about that. Um, you know, unfortunately, we tried to get two new middle schools uh, and, and uh, that went to a, a debt exclusion override and and it wasn't something that that this community wanted. I don't think the middle schools wasn't what the community wanted. It was the the way that we we had chosen to fund it. Uh, but but we were back to the front of the line with the MSBA and they've made significant accommodations to to meet our needs and to get us back in the pipeline as quick as possible. And we hope we can do that. Um, but regardless of whether we get a new middle school or not, we do need to move from our current model, which had uh, 11 different schools with nine different grade configurations. Um, it, you know, what we had was is not working and not serving our students um, uh, to the best of our ability, you know. So we need to move in that direction and we hope to do that next school year. We are going to be moving in that direction. We are going to have uh, traditional elementary, middle and high schools. And between now and next school year, there's just a lot of planning that has to happen. And one of my efforts and the school committee's efforts this year is to make sure that we engage the community in this process because the, the common misconception out there right now is that this only affects me if I'm a middle school student. And, and I want to let our families know that's not true. This affects, you know, half of our over half of our families. Um, we have a rezoning task force. They're meeting today. Uh, we're going to have several staff meetings at every elementary, middle uh, and pre-K to eight school between now and the 21st. And we have uh, family and community meetings coming up. One of them being at Kelly on Wednesday, September 14th at five o'clock where where uh, anybody can go and 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 listen to what we've done as, as it relates to this rezoning effort and what our plans are. We are breaking it up into two phases. The first phase being which school right now is going to be converted into a middle school next year. And then the next phase of it is how do we draw the boundary lines and, and do it in a way that makes sure we have equitable um, uh, student demographics in our schools so that we can best meet the needs of our students. On September 21st, we have a virtual meeting at 9 a.m. And then on Thursday, September 29th, we have another in-person meeting at Holyoke High School at 530. Um, and then a, a, another virtual on October 11th. The in-person meetings, we're going to have transportation available for families that uh, might be in neighborhoods that are affected by this and, and don't, might not have access to where, where it is. And we're also going to have fun family uh, and student activities um, during this. So we've partnered with the YMCA and we've partnered with uh, uh, Coach Chris and Learn in Motion. He runs a great program. Uh, but we're going to have fun activities for for students to engage in while their families learn about this important initiative that we have. Let me turn back. We just have a minute left. I'd like to turn back to the mayor, uh, Mayor Joshua Garcia. You know, I, I with this time we've had with you and with uh, uh, the superintendent Anthony Soto and the director of economic development Aaron Vega. You know, this is this is a great team you have, and I'm wondering whether. Uh, you hearing these senior members of uh, the staff, uh, the, the leadership of Holyoke, gives you hope um, 
for the future of the city because as I listen this morning, it certainly gives me that kind of hope. Mr. Mayor, we'll give you the final word. Well, it's important to be surrounded by uh, uh, the, the, a good team, people that are doing the work. These folks are the ones that are doing the work. I'm just the, the lucky guy that got elected into this role. Uh, and I, what I have to do is do what I can to continue to support the folks that are doing important work. In this case, we're talking about Aaron and Anthony, uh, economic development, education. And this was sort of the platform I ran on, Bill, if you remember when I talked about how, um, uh, you know, being a mayor or city manager, it's it's complex. Um, and uh, when you don't have a system internally, an internal control system that's effective, then then that'll result in inadequate services, whether we're talking about public safety, education, economic development, uh, investment and in infrastructure. Each of these functions are, are very dependent on how well we operate uh, internally at City Hall. And so my focus has been very strong on improving the internal control system at City Hall so that our school district, um, the folks doing the planning and economic development, the folks that are focused on public safety, so that they have the tools and the resources and the support they need to follow through um, with with their work. And so I'm, I'm just very fortunate to have uh, Aaron and Anthony uh, in these, these positions. Um, today we talked about the key things that are going to help raise the tidal wave here in the city, right? So education, public safety, and economic development. Uh, there's a lot of work happening in those areas. Um, the people that are doing the work, because it's, it's not me, it's, it's, it's them. Um, and I just have to make sure that for as long as I'm in this role, that they have the tools, the capacity, and the resources um, they need, and, and what I can do to help communicate the information to the greater public so that we're raising the tidal wave uh, within the city of Holyoke together. I'm going to leave it there. We have been speaking with the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia, the director of economic development, Aaron Vega, and the superintendent of the Holyoke Public Schools, Anthony Soto. Thank you also very, very much. We really look forward to continuing these conversations in the weeks and months ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. And don't let him tell you that. Josh is doing a lot of good work. He's working hard. We're happy to work with him. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The fair share amendment will be question one on the November 8th ballot. The state constitutional amendment would raise taxes on individuals with an annual income over $1 million to pay for public education and transportation projects as Massachusetts Teachers Association President Max Page explains. So this is truly asking the basically half of 1%, not even the 1%, half of 1% of tax filers, the very, very wealthiest, to pay a little bit more so we can have better schools and colleges and transportation systems. The amendment would raise up to $2 billion every year, and if passed in November, would take effect January 1st. Nearly 70 new affordable housing units will be coming to Amherst. Wayfinders, Inc. was selected by the town to develop two affordable housing projects in the East Amherst Village Center. The project is expected to cost about $27 million and could possibly begin in 2025. The Amherst Municipal Affordable Housing Trust will hold a virtual forum tomorrow to discuss the project. 
The Armory Building at 67 Hope Street in Greenfield will be auctioned off on September 28th. A public viewing of the property will be held on September 20th from 10 a.m. to noon. The former National Guard Armory was built in 1910 and is assessed at $1.2 million and is zoned as Urban Residential District. The City Council received a notice last June that the state would be making the property available for direct public use, and Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner was interested in using it for low-income housing. However, city officials determined it would not be possible to take on another redevelopment project. For today, mostly cloudy chance for passing shower, high 76 to 80. Tonight, mostly cloudy chance for showers, overnight lows 62 to 66. Tuesday, mostly cloudy chance for showers and thunderstorms, highs in the upper 70s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El senador de Massachusetts, John Billis, y la representante Patricia Duffy anunciaron el miércoles que 150 mil dólares en fondos ARPA han sido asignados para el programa de subsidios empresariales latinos de Partners for Community Inc. en Holyoke. El senador Billis y la representante Duffy se reunieron en Fiesta Café en Holyoke con su propietario, Juan Montano, así como la directora ejecutiva de la Cámara de Comercio de Holyoke, Jordan Hart, y con Verónica García en representación de la Cámara de Comercio Latina de Partners for Community. Community Inc. para hacer el anuncio. García también anunció que el nuevo nombre de la Cámara Latina de Comercio es el Consejo Latino de Desarrollo Económico. Estos 150 mil dólares en fondos ARPA ayudarán a los negocios propiedad de latinos en Holyoke, en particular a aquellos que se han visto afectados negativamente por la pandemia de COVID-19. En otras informaciones, un juez federal le dio al Departamento de Justicia de Estados Unidos y a los abogados de Donald Trump hasta el viernes para elaborar una lista de posibles candidatos para servir como maestro especial para revisar los registros que el FBI incautó del inmueble del expresidente en Florida. Pero encontrar personas que tengan la experiencia necesaria y las autorizaciones de seguridad para manejar los documentos altamente clasificados, así como la voluntad de entrar en el fuego político que rodea la investigación, no será una tarea fácil, dijeron expertos legales. La firma de abogados sin fines de lucro National Security Counselors proporcionó la semana pasada a la Corte una lista de cuatro posibles candidatos con experiencia en privilegios ejecutivos. Desde entonces, los cuatro han hecho comentarios públicos que sugieren que no quieren el trabajo o que los abogados del Departamento de Justicia o Trump podrían usar para argumentar en su contra. Yo soy Johan Roshi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This Wednesday at 6.30 at the Forbes Library in the Coolidge Museum. Again, this Wednesday, Forbes Library, Coolidge Museum, 6.30, the book launch for local novelists Ellen Mirapol's new novel, The Lost Women of Azalea Court. Ellen Mirapol, congratulations on this book. It's a great read. We should note that at the book launch, the broadside will be selling books. Uh, again, 6.30 Wednesday at the Forbes Library, the book launch for Ellen Mirapol's The Lost Women of Azalea Court. The book, the novel, reads like, well, it's, it's, it's fiction, but it's also placed in a setting that we all know, or think we know, uh, Northampton State Hospital. And it is just so realistic. It's a novel that grips you and says, I got to find out what happens here. So thank you for this book, Ellen. I would like to know why set, the, set this story 
at the state hospital? Well, originally, I wasn't planning to. When I moved to Hospital Hill, to Village Hill, in 2017, I was already working on this story, and it was set elsewhere. It's still centered on an elderly couple, Asher and Iris Blum, but the story was very different. And honestly, Bill, it wasn't working. So I sat at my computer looking out at the old coach house, Building 9 of the State Hospital, one of the few remaining buildings. And, all right, I know this sounds weird, but the ghosts of the hospital started whispering to me, and they said, your book isn't working. You really need to set it here. Um, And I don't really believe in ghosts, so I ignored them. Uh, But... Then a couple of months later, I went to the dedication of the memorial bench at the burial ground, the state hospital burial ground. And walking there, I walked with a woman who described to me being a student at one of the local women's colleges in the 50s and going to dances at the state hospital. And then at the dedication, I listened to a woman who had been a patient and and I was hooked. It became really clear to me that this story needed to be set at the state hospital. This is what had been missing from my original idea. What are the burial grounds? The burial grounds are um, now, they're sort of tucked in the uh, Smith Volk uh, agricultural fields, and it's where at least 180 unmarked graves are of people who died at the hospital, who did not have family or, or anybody who could bury them, and they are buried there. One aspect of this novel is its realism, and you intersperse in the novel uh, quotes from reports from Northampton State Hospital superintendents, and you have well, let's stop there for one second. What role do those reports, and they're just they're brief snippets, but what role do they play in telling this story? You know, in writing this story, I was just fascinated by the intersection of history and imagination. Um, research is always a part of writing a novel, but it's usually, for me, not a huge part. I'm sure that's different for people who write historical fiction. I usually write a novel draft entirely from imagination, and then I do research to fill in the thin areas to learn what I need to learn in order to make the the novel feel authentic. This was an entirely different process. Once I decided to set the book here, research was the most important thing. And those superintendent reports, which are now digitized and available online, um, just totally fascinated me. And actually, it sidetracked the writing of the book because I had to read all 135 or whatever, how, how many years of reports. These snippets that I picked out, for me, are a way to anchor the novel, the fictional part, in the history to remind us that, yes, this is a made-up story, but this is also an important 
part of our local legacy. In order to give our listeners some sense of what the book sounds like and without giving away too much of the plot itself, perhaps you could read for us the beginning. So, sure. well, it sets, it, sets up, it sets up a fair a fair amount of what will then happen. Sure. So I should say first that this book is narrated by many people. There are 15 narrators, and I know that's crazy, but that these were the characters who wanted their voices heard. And some sections are, are narrated by the women, which is a sort of a Greek chorus. This section that opens the novel is narrated by the women, so it's first person plural. It's a we uh, section. Everything changed when Iris went missing. Before that morning, if you had asked anyone living in the six bungalows on Azalea Court if we were close, we would have rolled our eyes. We're not one of those neighborhoods that celebrate holidays with grab bag gift exchanges or host cheerful red, white, and blue progressive dinners where you have appetizers at one house and off to another for the next course. We mostly respect each other's privacy and stay in our own homes and yards. That is, until Iris disappeared. People often ask us if Azalea Court is cursed. How could it not be, they insist. It's a balloon on a string-shaped road, though that description implies celebration and fun, and that's really not us. Our small homes sit on the grounds of the former state mental hospital, where thousands of lost souls were incarcerated over the course of a century and a half. By the time our six wood frame bungalows were built on the edge of the hospital grounds to house medical staff and their families, the state hospital was no longer burdened with insane or lunatic in its title, but it was still regarded with deep suspicion by the town. I'll stop there. Is it weird to write a novel that's based so significantly on real events and real places that still exist where you live? I mean, there's this interplay between what's real and what's imagined that I found fascinating and very engaging. But I'm wondering if it was weird for you as the writer. It definitely was weird. Um, I mean, for one thing, it's really weird to write a novel that's set in your, in your neighborhood, in your backyard. Um, neighbors who knew I was writing this book kept asking me, am I in it? Am I in it? Uh, and I, I had to explain that what I've done is make up a street that does not exist. Um, it's a totally imaginary street and tuck it into the neighborhood. Uh, and that was my way. I, I almost think of it as a, a Brigadoon style situation. This is a place that could be real, but isn't, but it's part of a very, very real place. But you're absolutely right. It was tricky to write. Um, it feels tricky to be starting to do events because there are so many people in this town who know much more about the state hospital than I do. We are speaking with Ellen Mirapol. Ellie Mirapol's new novel is titled The Lost Women of Azalea Court. The book launch will be at the Forbes Library in the Coolidge Museum this 6.30, Wednesdays at 6.30. 
Forbes will be, of course, sponsoring the event, and Broadside will be selling books. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk to Ellie Mirapol about the detective in this book, who is a fascinating character, absolutely drawn to perfection, as far as I'm concerned, as well as those ghosts that either do or don't exist at Northam State Hospital. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Voting as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think, is a huge advance. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. But what are we drinking in the wine bunker today? Random white wine. Yes. All right. Hello, I'm Random White Guy, and I'm going to be drinking Random White Wine. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. The first one here is the uh, Gomez Cruzado from the Haro region of Rioja, and this is a white wine. Now, most people might be familiar with Viora, but this is also blended with 25% Tempranillo Blanco. I always forget that that's even a thing. Don't we all? The first sip almost seems puckering dry, but it really rounds out. A couple more sips into it, it and it is lush and creamy. But it's not so creamy without acid. There's like a, there is yeah. a little bit of acid in there. When it's too creamy, I get really bored, and it's like what they call flabby, but with the acid, it braces it, and it makes it really yeah, good. This, this I want like scallops. You mean scallops? I don't care. I want them. I care. Scallops. There we go. Thank you. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street. A lot of mattress stores, all they talk about is price. Sale, 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 save, 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 blah, blah, blah. I get it. No one wants to pay a dollar more than you have to. But what do you really know about mattresses? Are you an expert? I'm not. And I have a furniture store. So I at least know a little. Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon Furniture. Not Tempur-Pedic, not trying to mislead you. Therapeutic the best mattress value I've ever found. And believe me, I've looked around. Therapeutic mattresses are made in Brockton. I've walked the floor and it was reassuring because there's no toxicity, no off-gassing. Therapeutic mattresses are clean and made by fellow Red Sox fans. Play the sale, sale, sale game if you want. That's not for me. A therapeutic mattress from Talon Furniture is your best bet and best deal. Today, tomorrow, or whenever you decide to buy a new mattress. It happens all over Massachusetts. In every home and every community. Be careful on your bike. Learning can happen anytime, anywhere. We'll see you at practice this weekend. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Ellen Mirapol. Elliot's new novel is titled The Lost Women of Azalea Court. It is set at Northampton State Hospital, and it is gripping. It is a page turner. It's not a whodunit. It's a what happened. And 
one aspect of this book that is so gripping is the realism of the portrayal that you uh, depict in, in, the, in this book, Ellie, about the state hospital itself. And part of that comes through, through a memoir that is being written, what we thought we knew. Tell our listeners a bit about that, if you would, please. The uh, husband of the woman who's missing is Asher Blum. He was the fictional last head psychiatrist of Northampton State Hospital for the last 40 years of its existence, and he oversaw the uh, end of the hospital in the novel. Um, he's writing a book, What We Thought We Knew. And so the device is that each section of the novel begins with a quote from archival material, mostly from the annual superintendent's reports. And these quotes are taken from that, from that archival material, and I think they, they give the reader a sense of what was happening at the hospital during those years. Could you read us an example? Sure. What we thought we knew. Table number five shows the supposed causes of insanity in 44 cases. Intemperance, eight. Masturbation, five. Disappointment in love, three. Pecuniary embarrassment, two. Hard study, two. Puerperal, two. Religious excitement, one. From Dr. W.M. Prince, Northampton State Hospital, Annual Report, 1858. And these are actual quotes. Absolutely, yes. yes. What did you learn in terms of the research about the, frankly, the insanity of how we, quote, treated, and I'll put treated in air quotes, people who were committed to the state hospital? What, what did you learn and how did that affect you? I learned a couple of things. One, I learned that the hospital was started with the most noble um, desire to really help people. It was state of the art in terms of the idea of moral treatment, of putting people, taking people away from whatever was supposedly triggering their problems and putting them in a beautiful place on a hill in a rural setting. And so the fact that it didn't work um, doesn't mean it wasn't started with the very best of intentions. I learned that it was also a place for what has been called the inconvenient people. You can tell from those causes of insanity um, that this, this doesn't sound very impressive to us now in terms of causes of insanity. Um, but this is what was understood at the time. However, a number of people, particularly women who were incarcerated at the hospital, were there because they, their husbands had tired of them or they didn't meet the standards of conduct for women in their era uh, or because they were homosexual uh, they were the inconvenient people. And that's part of what I learned from reading this material. What I didn't learn 
were things that I wish were available in the archives and weren't. And that's part of what comes up in the book. Yeah, it's what comes up in the book in some ways. We may not believe in ghosts, but those ghosts somehow still live, still live very much. There are going to be some uh, tours uh, of the hospital, of the former state hospital, uh, conducted by Historic Northampton uh, as, as part of this book uh, uh, rollout. Can you tell us about that? Yes, um, I did a lot of the archival research at Historic Northampton, and they were just incredibly helpful and supportive. And when I shared an early copy of the novel with them, Lori Sanders suggested that I do walk and read tours where small groups walk around the old hospital grounds um, and stop at places where particular scenes take place in the novel. That's the plan. We have been speaking with Ellen Mirapol, her new novel, The Lost Women of Azalea Court. The book launch will be at the Forbes Library and the Coolidge Museum this Wednesday at 6.30. It's a fabulous read. You want to go to this book launch. You want to read this novel available at your local independent bookstores, of course, at the Broadside. Ellen Mirapol, thank you so much for this book. Thank you for the understanding that you bring for all of us who live in Northampton, in particular, with regard to this state hospital and how it still lives both in our present and in our past. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Bill. Hey, are you coming to the Doozy Do Parade? The what? The Doozy Do Parade. There'll be teams of marchers, all with their own theme, as well as bands, floats, antique cars, roller derby, you name it. It's a fundraiser for Northampton Neighbors, which provides free services for seniors living in the area. Sounds like fun. When is it? Saturday, September 17th, rain or shine. They'll step off from Northampton Center for the Arts at 11 a.m. and march up Main Street to the Academy of Music. Anyone can join a team or donate at doozydo.org. See you there. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Bacon Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Bacon's many programs and services help companion animals Live and the people and who love them. News and talk to make for a Northampton gift, and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's